Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Wherever you are on your journey to glorify God, we are so glad you're here. On the Journey Women podcast, we come alongside you in the seasons and challenges of life to move you to know and love God in His Word, to find your hope in the gospel, and to invest deeply in your local church as you go out on mission for the glory of God. Today, we're talking with my pastor, Trey Richardson, about journeying as chosen exiles toward our heavenly home. Trey is married to one of my lifelong besties, Kristen, and together they have three kiddos. Brooks and I have the privilege of doing life alongside them here in Northwest Arkansas. I've been so blessed to be a member of Ozark Baptist Church, and I can't wait to share this conversation with you today. But before we go there, I just want to say a big thank you to those of you who support Journey Women Ministries by donating to the podcast. With your help, we are coming alongside more women to move them to know and love God, and we are so grateful. If you'd like to help us, you can do so at journeywomen.org forward slash give. Trey Richardson, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Hunter. This is really fun. I don't know how many years we've known each other now. It's been over a decade, and you are my pastor at my local church here in Northwest Arkansas, Ozark Baptist Church, and it's really, really fun to get to have you on the show today. Yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and Lord willing, this this hopefully will serve you. It'll serve your audience and, and everything else, so happy to be here. Well, I have certainly been served by our recent sermon series through First Peter. I love the book of First Peter. That's like long ago, Brooks and I memorized that book together. And it's been really helpful for you just to offer some of the things that I've been learning through your preaching, just having like concise summary statements of the book. I'm like, oh, this is so good. I wish I still had it memorized. And I thought maybe I should go back and review all of that. But I was sitting in the congregation a couple of months ago and you started the series and I thought, oh, this is exactly what I want the Journey Women to be left with after our recent series called Rest for the Weary. So I am so excited to get to kind of bring some of those themes into our conversation today as we think about just continuing on our journey toward eternity or toward our forever home in heaven? And how do we do that with hope and remember who we are and who God's made us to be? So thank you so much just for your faithful preaching and all of that. It's just been such an encouragement to me. And it's always fun to see overlap in, I don't know, what I'm learning. If people were sitting in my local church context, they would know so much of what I say here are things that I've been thinking through as a result of your teaching. Yeah. Praise God. I mean, that's great. Ultimately, that's what you want out of anybody, right? 
even those who don't have podcasts. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. It's so funny. We just see so many themes. Like every time we're in Bible study and stuff like that on a Wednesday night, we're currently studying Titus and we're always just making all these connections between what we're learning in Titus and what you're preaching on a Sunday morning. So it's really, really fun. And I just want to give people a little bit of background as to our relational history. We were in college together and really both of us experienced so much growth in our relationship with the Lord during that time in college. That's when you became a believer, correct? Yeah. So after my freshman year, probably I think is when I became a believer, um, was regularly telling people that I was a Christian. Um, obviously I was a nominal Christian in that way. So, but my life, my practice, uh, my life was not lining up with my profession. And so, yeah, the Lord convicted me over that as I was sharing the gospel with other people. I was going around with a guy that was sharing the gospel with me, and he took me around with others. And because I was professing to be a believer, I was sharing the gospel with other people or sharing my testimony to other people. And yet it was a false testimony. And so wow. uh, the Lord greatly convicted me over that and brought me to saving faith kind of through that time. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't until probably after my freshman year that I that I think I became a believer. So, yeah. And then, you know, we were in friendship together through the ministry that you're referencing. And my dearest friend from the seventh grade ended up dating you. And yeah. I think in that time period, the Lord started to place on you uh, like a call to professional Christian ministry or to preach. And so it was really fun to get to see even the very beginning of that as you would teach in the ministry that we're referencing when we were in college and then to see you and Kristen, my friend, now my pastor's wife, get engaged and to be a part of your wedding. And so our relational history runs long. And I have to tell you, you know, we did life in different contexts for over a decade, right? So we were you know, together at college. And I saw you and Kristen in that context. And then uh, when we moved back to Northwest Arkansas and started spending time together, I noticed just how much growth the Lord had done in both you and Kristen's lives, especially Kristen having known her from the seventh grade. And I have told friends in the congregation that that was just the greatest testimony in and of itself, just to see how the Lord had changed you over the years, changed Kristen. Just your walk with the Lord was a testimony to the work that he had done in your life. And so it made me really eager to get to come alongside you guys um, in our local church, which just planted right after Brooks and I moved here. So that's kind of some of our background. So when we're talking, you'll hear a friendship that has you know, stood the test of time. And so I just appreciate your um, investment in not only me, but in, in our whole family. So yeah, and Hunter, I'll just commend you as well. I mean, I think one of the things that's been a great encouragement is a lot of the things that you talk about on here, and specifically how you try to apply them um, with each and every single one of these episodes, you're trying to apply it back to the local church context. And, you know, for those that are listening, for those that even watch these clips or whatever, um, I think it's an it should be an encouragement to them that the things that you talk about in the local context is actually happening even for you as the host of this podcast. And so I'm extremely encouraged just by the way that you do that and you model the things that you talk about even on this podcast. Well, thank you. And that's part of the reason why I really wanted to have you as the culminating episode of this series, because we just want women to know that, yes, you can 
listen to all these different podcasts on all these different topics. But we really truly believe the most valuable thing you can do is to sit under the faithful preaching uh, within your own local church week in and week out. And that is the reason why we are having this episode, like I mentioned, uh, I was sitting underneath your preaching as you um, taught and preached on First Peter 1, 1 and 2 and just thought, man, I want all the journey women to get to hear this. So one of the things that you talked a lot about in that uh, particular sermon was our identity. And so I thought that would be such a helpful reminder as we're bringing this series, Rest for the Weary, to a close. Um, because I think so often when I feel weary and when I feel burned out, it's really a result of having misplaced or misunderstood my identity and a, a need to recall and reflect upon who God has made me to be and what he's done in my life. So what happens when we look to our work or our ministry, like I am so often tempted to do to define who we are and how does that throw us off course? Yeah. So I think that, yeah, it's not a surprise that whenever we're trying to find our identity in something other than Jesus, uh, that we are restless and that we feel burnt out and that we come to a place of feeling uh, broken down and exhausted, um, because I think it's it's meant to do that very thing, so that we would we would then redirect our eyes back onto Jesus. And so, what happens ultimately is that we're effectively just committing idolatry. Uh, is is what is happening, and hmm. really that idolatry happens whenever we're loving something or worshiping something more than Jesus. Now, as that relates to you know our identity, uh, that happens whenever we, whenever we look to something other than Jesus to define us. And so more often within our culture today, you know, there are a number of ways that I think that we see this within the culture. Um, you know, we recently had dinner, our families had dinner uh, with a girl who had been visiting our church. This was a girl that would have described herself um, growing up as kind of a tomboy. That was kind of her personality, uh, her persona. And she joined the military. And when she was in the military, people began to pick up on that and began to impose an identity upon her saying that, Oh, because you're a tomboy, that means you, you must like women. Like that's who you are. You need to like women. And she began to own that identity that those within the military were actually imposing upon her in telling her who she was. And so, I mean, I think that's just one form and that was extremely destructive for her, but then praise God. I mean, he converted her, brought her out of that. Um, and so it was a remarkable testimony from her, but I think it's just one way in which the world tries to impose an identity upon us because they look at us, they see certain things that describe us, and then they they begin to say, oh, well, this is who you are. And so you need to kind of just be who we tell you that we think you are. Mm -hmm. I think another way that we, we see identity defined um, is really by looking inside ourselves, right? So that's, you know, it's up to you to discover or to determine your true self that our identity is not given to us, but it's created by us. Um, and, you know, it's not something that we ultimately receive from God. It's actually something that you can go out and you can achieve. Um, and so you right. discover your true self, I mean, effectively by by following your heart. You know, who are you, right? And and that often becomes, well, what are your desires? What are your dreams? That, that will ultimately tell you who you are. And of course, this is, we love this form of individualism today, um, which is known as expressive individualism. And you see this all over the place. You see this within Disney movies, right? You go listen to Moana uh, <laughs> talking about following her heart, running after her dreams and her ambitions. 
<laughs> and her grandmother is just sitting there cheering her on, you know, while, uh, while Papa <laughs> is the bad guy, you know, back at the island, um, trying to keep her back. It sounds like you've had quite a few movie nights on Friday night with the yeah, girls. Yeah, we like we like we like our Disney princesses, and but I think it's helpful for us because it, it provides an opportunity even for us to to be able to teach our kids about, hey, what is Moana doing here? Where is she finding her identity? Why does she think she has to go out and try to discover it? Why is that messed up? Why is that sinful? Why is that ultimately? I think what the scriptures say is actually enslaving you. And it's not actually bringing you freedom. It's not something that's going to ultimately bring you life. It's going to leave you empty and it leads to destruction. And so we have to have those conversations uh, regularly. And I think what happens is that, you know, we often find ourselves trying to create an identity for herself or to, um, to achieve this identity by elevating those things that describe us, which may be some very good things, but we elevate those things that describe us and make them define us. And right. I think that's really where it becomes concerning. Um, you know, things like our job, things like our spouse, things like our children, our personality, right? We begin to own, well, this is who I am, much like the girl that I just gave as an example. And, uh, you know, it, it often just gets us off course because it takes us down a path that, that ultimately will not lead to life. It's going to lead to discouragement. It's going to lead to distress. It's going to lead to the exhaustion, the burnout that you just talked about. Um, you know, whenever we don't achieve those things, and ultimately it will lead to destruction if we don't turn from doing that very thing. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. When we're turning from doing that, uh, where sh where ought we turn to develop like a right and biblical understanding of who we are? Where should we look to truly understand our identity? Yeah. So obviously, you know, the place that we look to find out who we are as Christians uh, is ultimately going to be found in the scriptures, right? We don't look to sinful people uh, to tell us our identity. We don't look within ourselves to find our identity. We look to what God has said about us in the scriptures and how God has defined us as those who are created in his own image. And so, I mean, I think about always just going back to Genesis 1 and 2 and beginning there where God actually is declaring who we are. And we learn that the only one who has the authority to define us is the one who has created us. We don't have that authority to be able to define who we are. Um, uh -huh. instead, you know, God is the one who's created us, has that authority to be able to define who we are and ultimately who we are is given by God. And so we are his creation. We have worth, we have dignity. We're created in his image, right? We're seeing those things from the very beginning, but then you come to Genesis three and we learn that 
oh man, we're also sinful at our core. Um, we're fallen creatures. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins outside of a relationship with Jesus, right? What we know is ultimately darkness and death and despair and destruction um, in terms of who we are. And so, you know, I think pursuing an identity that the world tells us to assume or even just seeking to create our own identity often reveals uh, that we're actually dead spiritually whenever we're yeah. doing that or we're following something that's going to ultimately cut out our legs from underneath us and just leave us without a, a strong foundation. Yeah, it's so interesting, too, like how evident that is. You know, you and I were just talking that we recently had an incident with our kiddos in which they were seeing someone express like an identity that they had contrived for themselves. Very evidently, they were not living out who God had created them to be, but instead saying, I am going to, you know, define who I am and force everyone around me to rally around that and affirm that. And we went back to that creation account. And it was so helpful just to remember those very basic things um, that we've been made in the image of God for his glory, like all the things that you just referenced. And I was able to ask the girls, like, did it look like, you know, they were satisfied? Did it look like they were, um, you know, just living out God's good design for them. And they could emphatically say like, no, because it was so evident that the the identity that they had embraced was twisted. And so I think it's such a testament to just to see people living who God created them to be that in and of itself glorifies God. And it's evident to those who are around them. Right. Right. The scriptures tell us that for those who turn from trying to define themselves horizontally, according to our create, according to creation or, you know, from finding ourselves within, you know, our own desires, our own dreams and who we want to be, um, that if we turn from those things and we begin to look vertically to Christ, then we can actually receive not rejection, right? We, we receive eternal acceptance by God, which is the acceptance yes. that we need, right? In the court of public opinion and in, in the court of of the, the only opinion that matters in the end ultimately is going to be Jesus opinion of us and whether or not we're accepted by God in Christ. And so, you know, I think we have to turn from chasing acceptance in the court of public opinion by receiving yeah. acceptance that can only come in Jesus that is given to us by God. And so, yeah, one will ultimately get you eternal life, right? The other is going to cost you an eternity. And I think that's the concern. Yeah. You know, the question that comes to my mind is one that you ask often from the pulpit, like, which will it be for you? <laughs> right. I made that joke in Bible study the other day. I'm like, every time I've got Trey's words ringing in my ear, which will it be for you? <laughs> you know, I think that this is just such a great reminder, not only for like someone who feels I have misplaced my identity entirely, I need to like better understand that, but also for someone like myself who just is so prone to just getting a few degrees off as I go about my day, just to continually rehearse and reflect upon the identity that I have received in Christ. And what better way to do that, like you said, than by going back to God's Word. As Christians, we talk a lot about remembering our identity in Christ. But what actually is that? What is true of us in Christ? Trey's going to get into how 1 Peter 1 reminds us of our identity as chosen, elect, and exiles, and how Romans 8 tells us that we are God's heir and Christ's co-heir, sharing in His sufferings and His glory. 
But before we go there, let's spend a few minutes rehearsing and reflecting on what else scripture says is true of us in Christ. Sister, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God, John 1.12, through adoption by the Father. John 15.16 says God has chosen you, appointing you to go and bear fruit to the world. You are united to God through the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.17, an essential part of His body, 1 Corinthians 12.27. You have been reconciled to God Himself through His Son, and He has commissioned you to the ministry of reconciliation. You are Christ's ambassador, a messenger of God's righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.18-20. You are chosen, dearly loved, and created to reflect God to the world, Colossians 3.12. You are a child of the light, 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says, belonging to God and not to the darkness of the world. You are a part of His chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession to proclaim His name, 1 Peter 2, 9-10. You are sanctified by the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, equipped with everything good that God might achieve His purpose through you, Hebrews 13.20. In fact, His divine power has given you everything you need. You get to participate in His divine nature, 2 Peter 1.3. You are dearly beloved to the Father, 1 John 3.1, lavished with His love, kept and protected from the harm of the evil one, 1 John 5.18. You are carefully crafted. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139.13-14 says. You are called in righteousness, held and guided by the Father, Isaiah 42.6. You are called to a righteous purpose by one who promises to work all things out for your good, Romans 8.28. Sister, by God's grace, this is who you are in Christ. May your identity compel you to know and love God ever more deeply. So how does scripture inform who we are and what we do? And how does God's word really sustain us and give us the direction that we need to continue navigating uh, life on this side of eternity? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's helpful is the fact that whenever the culture is trying is is telling us who we are, or we're trying to create who we are by looking inside, th- those things change. Right. Our desires change. The court of public opinion changes. And I think one of the things that's helpful is the fact that scripture doesn't. And it's a solid foundation for us to be able to look and to be able to go back and to to consider exactly what like who has God said that I am. Yeah. And what does that mean for how I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to live and what he has called me to do? And I see I think we see an example of how the scriptures inform who we are and how that gives shape really to how we're, we're to live really in the book of first Peter. Right. So we talk about, you know, part of the reason why you've you come to this you know idea of having me on is specifically through even just that sermon series through first Peter. You know, Peter could have began his letter any number of ways. Right. He's, he's writing to these Christians in uh, under Roman rule there in Asia Minor in about 62, 63 A.D., there are Christians who are in, enduring persecution, who are just odd. They're strangers. They're strange. The things that they value are not what the not what the world values. And there's a number of ways that he could have began. He could have just kind of gone in and just started giving the marching orders. You know, you need to go do this. You need to do that. And you need to, you know, get after these kinds of things. And yet he does not begin that way. He doesn't begin with exhortation. He begins with identification. And I think that's so, it's enlightening, I think. And it's helpful for us that, 
we're not going to be able to go do what God has called us to do unless we rightly understand who we are according to how the scriptures inform us of who we are. And so, um, and so what he's getting at right there um, is that ultimately we are those who are chosen. And yeah. as he says right there, just in, in chapter one, verses one and two, we, we get identity words and identity language. And often you'll get this throughout the scriptures. But he tells us in chapter one, verse one right there, that you are chosen by God. You're living as exiles or you're, I guess, in the ESV, depending on how you how it's taken, and you're elect exiles. That's who you are. You are chosen by God. You belong to God. And that helps you, you know, whether yes. you get pushed back from the world because the world doesn't ultimately define you. Instead, you've already been accepted by God. You're not having to go out and try to seek the approval that the world is going to ultimately try to give to you. And so, and I think what's beautiful about that is that he gives you an identity right? That you are chosen by God, which is happening in eternity past. He gives you an identity that weathers every storm and outlasts this creation itself. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what's, that's what's so beautiful about that. Uh, whenever we do look to the scriptures to define us. That is so good. I was even just talking to a girlfriend yesterday who got fired from her job and I was able to use that as an encouragement to her. I said, you know, praying you'll remember your value and worth and dignity as an image bearer who's been chosen before the beginning of time. <laughs> like before the beginning of time, the Lord set his love on you. So how does that doctrine, the doctrine of election really offer us encouragement when we face rejection from the world? Yeah. Oh, man. The, the doctrine of election. And it's so fascinating that Peter begins here. It's not normally the place that we would think he would begin his letter. And he begins on election of calling us chosen. Um, and really, the doctrine of election is speaking about God's choosing of individuals to inherit eternal life before they've done anything good or bad. I mean, I think it's helpful just to begin with the definition. Um, and there are several terms that kind of fall underneath that umbrella term uh, of election, right? Specifically here, Peter's using the word chosen or elect, um, which is how he begins his letter. Um, mm -hmm. And it's remarkable because out of all the things that he could have started his letter with, he begins with this doctrine. And it's not to ultimately upset them. And it's not just for theological debate, but there's a very practical use to it, that it's mm. meant to comfort them in the midst of their affliction. That's why he begins there. He wants to comfort them in the midst of their affliction. And so um, when you know that you belong to God and you're accepted by Christ, then there is no amount of rejection this world can give to you that will ultimately up you and undo you. There's no amount of mocking. There's no amount of slander uh, that are, is going to cause you to be able to conform to the world or even isolate from the world. But instead, when you know that you're chosen by God, you know that there's nothing that can that can take that away. And so it's it's far more practical than just kind of being a the, something that's up for theological debate or even tried to cause conflict. He's trying to use it to actually comfort us uh, in the midst of our affliction. And so I think, you know, the question that, that I think we have to ask is, well, how does, the, how does election encourage us to stand in the grace of God whenever things get difficult for us? And, you know, if God has established our status and he's established our identity in eternity, then there's no persecution that can undo that. Nothing else in all of creation can give us an identity. They're, like the work, the, the girl that just lost her job, right? Her job can't give her that kind of identity. Exactly. That kind of security in your identity. Um, there's no amount of, of, you know, acceptance from the world, respect that you would gain from the world that's going to be able to give you that. There's no amount of like even 
within your family of always wanting to be approved by your parents or approved within your family. There's, there's no amount of that that can give you that kind of stability and security uh, like we get with God. And so, you know, you might be rejected, but ultimately you're accepted in Christ. And it comforts you to know that God, and really when he gets at that word, when he describes being chosen, he says right there that we're, it's, we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And it's really getting at, at God for loving you. Yeah. Right where God has placed His love upon you before wor- the world even even began, and so it comforts you to know that God for loved you as you face the harsh circumstances of this life. That your circumstances are not a sign that somehow God has left you, but that um, but ultimately it's a reminder that you belong to Him and He's with you in the midst of those circumstances. The doctrine of our security in Christ is more than just some helpful theology. It actually impacts us in our everyday. It impacts how we walk through seasons of difficulty, suffering, and deep weariness. Because we know that our God is not uncaring or distant, even when we walk through hard things. It's not in His nature to be cruel or unkind. Because you are secure in Christ's love, you can know that no matter what God walks you through, He is with you and for you. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because when we try to show love to people we care about, we often do it through acts of kindness, words of encouragement, gifts that make them feel loved and cared for, hugs and kisses and sweet gestures. But God's love is sometimes very unlike man's love. Sometimes I feel that the way God is acting towards me may be to put me through some hard thing, to walk me through a darker, difficult season. Sometimes I feel that that reflects a lack of love toward me. I feel that God is not showing love to me in those difficult times. Maybe you've felt this way too. But friends, it's especially in these times that we must remember, God's love is steadfast and sure. It is continual and comprehensive. God's love is unchanging, no matter what darkness He walks you through. I pray that today, right now, in the midst of whatever weariness or difficulty you're walking through, that you would find hope and comfort in the surety of God's love for you. Like Trey mentioned, and like Ephesians 1 says, God's love for you existed in eternity past, so you can be confident that it is secure now and will be forever. God is the very essence of love, and once He sets His love on you, you can be confident that you will be continually held by it. I remember when you and I were studying Ephesians. Do you remember this? In like Kaleo 2007, it was summer of 2007, I think. And we were going through chapter one. It was probably the first time I'd ever studied a book of the Bible without any kind of supplement. And you can't really escape like going through the text when you don't have something else to lean on. And I remember studying those verses for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. And I don't think I slept for like two days. I promise you, you can ask the (laughs) group of girls I lived with. I was so disrupted by that because it wasn't what I had grown up hearing over and over again. I didn't really realize that the language of election, choosing, foreknown, all these different 
kind of words that we find in the scriptures really regularly. I didn't realize that they were biblical. Um, And it was disruptive for me, but ultimately it has led me to so much rest because I came to realize through studying the scriptures that I have done nothing to contribute to my salvation and thereby I can rest. I don't have to continue to try and achieve or perform. Instead, I get to rest in the perfect performance of Jesus. And so I remind myself that regularly when I'm navigating hardship and suffering, um, because I think a lot of times we're tempted to think, like you mentioned, in a more prosperity gospel mindset that like, if we're navigating something hard, maybe it's a result of something bad we've done or some kind of wrong decision we've made. And certainly there can be implications from sin and that is something to consider. But If we look at the scriptures, I think more than anything, we find such solidarity with those who have also been chosen by God that they too have navigated suffering. And yet it's an opportunity for us to turn away from ourselves again and to stand firm in the identity that we've been given in Christ. So what helps you or what might help us to do that as we go through those hard times? What might help us to remember who we are? Yeah. I mean, I think, obviously, I think the scriptures are helpful um, because often we get how the world talks about how we're to live. We're to pursue comfort and convenience and, you know, establish affluence and all these other things, right? And it might be a boring answer, but I think it's helpful for me in terms of kind of going back to who I am in Christ and recognizing that even when I'm striving to live a holy life, even when I fail, that doesn't upend my identity, right? I am I, my position before God is the same uh, in the day that He saved me as it yeah. is, you know, today, or as it was in eternity past when He foreloved me, and as it's being actualized and and worked out even through the work of the Holy Spirit even today. And so for me, it's helpful um, just to go back to the Scriptures regularly because I think so so many times what happens is we begin to listen to the voices within our culture more than we actually go back to the word. And the culture begins to to inform how we think about ourselves. Oh, well, I guess I should be pursuing these things and doing these things and trying to achieve this kind of life versus actually what did Jesus, how did Jesus call you to live? And our lives actually look more like the world than they do kind of strange or weird in the world, which yeah. is which is much of what Peter is even talking about in his letter when he calls us exiles, when he calls us strangers, um, and even says that you know people are going to think it's strange when you don't join them uh, in their wild and reckless living. And I think that you know for me, it's helpful to keep going back to know that it's actually normal for you to be strange in the world and not to look just exactly like the world. They ought to see something yeah. different and something strange. Um, and so I think it's just helpful to keep going back to the scriptures. Um, in reminding myself who God has created me to be and seeking to align my life to that. You know, I personally have found it so helpful to be in a church that is centered around the word. Someone was asking me what characterizes our church and like what the, I guess, personality of our church is when they were visiting. And I said, you know, really, all I can say is that we are people who want to center our lives around the word of God. And that's reflected in the pulpit on a Sunday afternoon. We're a church plant. And uh, right. that's also reflected in the lives of those who uh, are gathering together week in and week out. And so I think sometimes I have seasons in which I want and desire to be going to the word, but I may not be doing that as often as I'd like. And I just want to encourage women 
do not discount or discredit uh, the hour, two hours that you spend sitting under the word preached on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. Also, welcome those with whom you are doing life together under the authority of the word to speak the word into your life. We regularly experience that as community, just seeking to live life in accordance with the word. And so getting together with women on Wednesday night and studying the scriptures and then just seeking to apply those to our lives, like reminding each other of who we are and what we're doing here. These are all really helpful ways that we can remember the identity that we've been given in Christ as we kind of weather the challenges that we endure on a daily basis. So tell me this, you know, I think a lot of times it's difficult to encourage sisters who are really navigating intense hardships um, on their journey, whether it be like, you know, death of a loved one, miscarriage, infant loss, um, difficulties revolving around adoption, um, relational discord, all these different things that we're navigating. How can we encourage one another with the truth that we are really participating in the sufferings of Christ? And how might that help us to endure these various hardships? Yeah. So I think one of the things that is has been helpful, specifically when we look at the book of First Peter, uh, one of the things that's been helpful is to recognize that it's not surprising that these yes. things are happening. You know, that it's 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 not something, it's something to be expected, is what Peter is saying. And not only is it to be expected, but even when you go look at First Peter chapter four, even in in, in verse 12, he says uh-huh. it's actually something that you're to rejoice in which just seems so odd because you feel so devastated. But I don't think what he means by that is you've just kind of like grit your teeth together and just be happy, uh, you know, to, to following Jesus. Um, but I think there's a deeper joy that he is actually speaking about that goes deeper um, than just kind of smiling as you grit it out uh, in the midst of your suffering. And when he says right there in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. And I think you know, there's a couple of points that he's making, you know, in that. I think he tells us that we can rejoice because we have confidence that we belong to Christ, right? Yeah. That, that suffering for Jesus is actually a sign that you belong to Jesus. If you're willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus, then it's a sign that you belong to Jesus. And I think that's an encouragement to you. It ought to give you assurance that if you're clinging to the promises of Jesus when you've lost a loved one or you're going through relational discord and you keep going back to the word and you keep you know, spending time in prayer, um, asking for the Lord's help and strength, I think it's a sign. It ought to give, give you assurance that you're doing the right thing. You're moving the right, you're moving in the right direction to the one who's actually going to give you comfort versus right. running after, you know, in trying to practice escapism and just running after whatever uh, is within reach or whatever the world tells you to do to try to deal with your pain. And I think this the second reason as well, I think that he gives us right there, he tells us kind of the purpose of that, and the second reason right there in verse 13 um, is he says that you rejoice so that you may rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. And yeah. I think what's so fascinating is the fact that if we're consistently bitter about our suffering or we grumble our way through our suffering, we're not preparing ourselves for that day of like of greater joy. Yeah. Right? We're experiencing, we can experience joy in extremely hard times now. And yet when we do that, when we're rejoicing in the midst of our suffering now, we're actually preparing for a day of greater joy uh, when we're going to be rejoicing whenever Christ 
returns, right? If we suffer with him, the apostle Paul says, then we will be glorified with him. And so, um, you know, it's easier to rejoice when you know that sharing in Christ's sufferings will one day actually share uh, in Christ's glory. And I think that's really what we have in mind is that, you know, that ought to motivate us to rejoice in suffering now because we're going to share in his glory later, which is such a glorious truth that I think we can cling to in the midst of our hurt and our pain. Yeah. Yes. Um, There's so much I could say, but, but I do want to tell you that this is a surprise for Kristen. Don't tell her yet. It's her birthday today. And when the kids get home, they are going to recite Titus 3, three through seven for her as her birthday gift. And we were just discussing this concept on the way to school because we carpool every day. And one of the ways I redeem that time is by encouraging the kids to memorize scripture. And uh, the very last portion of Titus three, three through seven is talking about so that we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. And so you can imagine the conversation that we're trying to have, like understanding the concept from ages four to like nine of what it means to be an heir, number one, and to be an heir that is inheriting the hope of eternal life. And it's just been such a fun thing to get to do with the kids. But really, as I think about my own experience with suffering, particularly in the last two years, you know, I have always kind of idealized like this hope of eternal life, but through my dad's death and walking alongside, just watching the curse kind of play out in a time lapse, you know, as you watch someone's breath leave their actual body. Um, I've got to tell you that that kind of suffering has really produced in me more yearning and more hope for eternal life. And so I think that's the grace that we experience as we navigate those really difficult kind of hardships on this side of eternity is that it pushes us towards the hope of heaven. So how does knowing that this world isn't our home help us persevere until we make it all the way home? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's helpful whenever Peter begins his letter, not only does he call us chosen, but he also calls us exiles. He also calls us those who live um, as exiles um, in our situation right now. And, you know, because God has chosen us out of the world, this world is no longer our home, right? This world is going to be opposed to everything that our newfound identity in Christ and faith in him is all about. And then, so I think what's helpful is that that actually helps me to persevere because it tempers my expectations from the world. Um, It reorients what I am then longing for and yearning for. I think, which is what you experience even in the suffering with the loss of your father, right? It, it, it begins to reorient and reshape what you yearn for, what you long for, and it makes, it makes you want it to come uh, even sooner um, yeah. than, than what you have. And so whether it's you know, the first century in Asia, Asia Minor that Peter is writing to or the 21st century America, Christians are, are strangers in a foreign land that live and long for our heavenly home in the New Jerusalem. And so we should not expect... Uh, to be a moral majority. Um, and though that's nice uh, at times, and I think we, we've had some level, Christians have had some level of cultural clout uh, throughout America's history, um, you know, we're meant to ultimately live, though, as a distinct countercultural minority, which is exactly what Peter is addressing right here, that it's not abnormal 
when that happens. In fact, it's the context of what of what he's writing to in First Peter. And so what helps me to persevere until I reach my heavenly home, I think, is, is knowing that my circumstances really map onto uh, the life and the afflictions of Christ. I'm not, I'm not the first one who's walked this road. Christ has already blazed that trail for me. And that's what Peter does throughout this letter. He uses the same language uh, to speak of us as he does with that of Christ. And so not only are we foreknown you know, before the foundation of the world, well, who else? was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but Christ, not only are we chosen, but Christ was also chosen and honored by God, chapter two and verse four. Not only was he God's elect, but he was also an exile who was rejected by the world, by his own people, even by his own family. And he declared that foxes and birds may, you know, had more of a home in this world than even he did hmm. as the one who created it. And I think that's what's helpful because one of the ways that I persevere to the end is by remembering that the one I follow is a chosen exile. Jesus is God's chosen exile. He knows what that identity means to the fullest extent as the one exiled on the cross to bear our sin, bearing the suffering the in the wrath of God to accomplish our redemption. redemption. And so when I sign up to follow Jesus, I am joining him in exile. And when we do, we not only sign up to share in his sufferings, but we're also signing up to share in his glory. That suffering is temporary. That glory is for eternity. And I think that's what encourages me to persevere is that I'm not alone. Like not only do I have other Christians that are that are persevering along with me, they're, they're going through similar sufferings that I'm going through. But also the fact that I'm not only I'm not the only chosen exile out here. There's one who yeah. is God's chosen exile who already walked that trail for me. And so that that gives me great encouragement, I think, in, in, in to persevere through the affliction that we face. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you reference this, but we're not doing that alone. And that's one thing we really want to emphasize here at Journey Women. Like, you ought not turn on a podcast and receive, like, some encouragement and try to continue navigating this life by yourself. So how does the church help us to faithfully persevere as we go about journeying together toward our heavenly home. Yeah. So I think what's, what's fascinating and we often don't, we often don't look at this whenever we read first Peter, you know, or when we read the scriptures specifically in the new Testament, that these are, these are contextually defined commands that Peter is giving to us or that, that, you know, the apostles are giving to us and the writers of the new Testament are giving to us. And I think what's fascinating is that he's writing, he's writing a circular letter to churches throughout Asia Minor um, who are enduring the same kinds of suffering. And so we're not alone. And, and automatically, he's already showing us that we're not alone by that, but w- that we belong um, to a body of other citizens of heaven who are walking the same trail that we're walking. I think and one of the things that is so helpful about being in the community of believers is the fact that they're going to be able to help us in the midst of of that difficulty. So specifically carrying, you know, our burdens and sorrows, rejoicing with our joys, and they're going to be doing all of that. You know, when he calls us, when Peter is is calling us in chapter 1 and verses 13 and all the way to chapter, you know, to verse 21, and he calls us to set our hope completely on the grace that's going to be brought mm. to us. If we're living in a very hopeless season, we're reminded not only just Sunday in and Sunday out, but also throughout the week, whenever we meet with brothers and sisters in Christ, they're reminding us of the true hope that we have. Left to ourselves, though, right, like you said a minute ago, we may not want to go to the scriptures of that in that moment. 
Yeah. And yet we need somebody who's there to be able to remind us of the hope that we actually have in Christ and that we're not the only one who's going through this suffering. There's actually probably somebody else within the church that's going through a similar thing that you're going through, which is why we don't just need to kind of attend, but we actually need to participate in the life of the church and be actively involved in it so that we know all of the other resources that God has given to us within the church to be able to help yeah. us live a holy life as God has called us to live. And so there's accountability the church uh, is able to give, right? The the church is able to be there, you know, as Hebrews uh, 10 talks about in terms of stirring up one another to love and good deeds, um, you know, and until we see the, the appearing of Christ so that we don't become complacent. The church helps to redirect our hope whenever we're, de- we're dejected. They help to encourage us and love whenever we feel like our love is running cold. The church is able to actually give love to us and to care for us and to serve us whenever we feel like we don't really want to do that. And I think it's just, I think it's a reminder where we need to plant ourselves, that the church is going to outlast every empire. And so I would just encourage everyone on here to dig your heels into Mm -hmm. the local church because the Lord has given you other kingdom citizens, citizens of Jesus' kingdom, to walk alongside you, to encourage you in those discouraging seasons, to love you in those seasons where you really don't feel loved. Um, to, to give encouragement in terms of in redirecting your hope whenever you do feel hopeless. And that's the point of why the church is there is to help you to mature in Christ, to look beyond yourself and actually put your eyes back upon him. And the church, I think that is seeking to be faithful is seeking to try to do that. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'm so grateful for my local church that does that. I think a lot of times people can feel discouraged in their local church or feel like, man, I don't have anybody in my local church who is understand is able to understand like what I'm walking through or whatever. And I just want to encourage you as somebody who has been very, very transient in the last 12 years, just pray and ask the Lord, you know, God, would you kind of reveal to me somebody in my local church who might be able to, um, you know, just help me reorient to the word of God. I, I recently had that experience, Trey, because, you know, often having been so transient, I find myself wanting to reach back to past seasons. And certainly sometimes that's appropriate, but reach back towards relationships that are a little bit more established um, because I feel like better understood in those contexts. And I had a situation that I was navigating some hardship and I just stopped and asked the Lord, okay, God, who in our local church, you know, our brand new baby church plant, who can encourage me in this very random hardship that I'm walking through? And it was your mom. And I texted your mom and I just was so encouraged by the, I don't know, just empathy that she extended to me in regard to my specific hardship. So just pray, ask the Lord. I think you may be surprised to find that you are able to find um, other women who are, even if they haven't navigated similar hardships, are able to encourage you with the word in your local church. So that certainly brings me rest when I feel weary, just remembering that I'm not alone on this journey. What is it that brings you rest though, Trey, when you are feeling weary in your walk with the Lord? Yeah. So I think initially uh, where my heart often wants to go, uh, especially like if, it, if it's been a long week or if I know I have a grueling schedule coming up um, with various teaching engagements and other things like that. I think initially where my heart wants to go is it wants to just sit down and, and shut my brain off and just watch Netflix or watch, watch some show or something. <laughs> I've gotten really good show recommendations from you. So I, I've benefited from that personally. Yeah. But I think what's helpful to recognize though, is that ultimately that's not going to give you rest. 
Right. That just kind of sitting down, shutting your brain off is not going to give you rest whenever you feel weary. Um, it's not, it's not meant to, and it's not saying that that's not a fine thing to do. Uh, You know, it it may be morally neutral depending upon obviously what show you watch, but it's not saying that that might not be a fine thing to do, but that's not ultimately going to give you the rest that you need in restless seasons when your restlessness is not going to, it's not going to be removed from you. And I just remember, and, and you might remember this, I think it was from our core team whenever, before we were planting, or even after we planted in small group, we read a wonderful article by David Pallison. Man, if there was ever a guy that I wish I could just spend time with, I mean, he's passed uh, now, he passed a couple of years ago, that I wish I could just sit down and, and spend hours with, just chatting and discussing life with, it would be David Pallison. And I think one, of, he just has this glorious line in there when he talks about suffering in Psalm 119. Often when we come to Psalm 119, we're thinking, oh, it's talking about the word and it's, you know, this kind of thing. Well, he, he pulls out like all this stuff on suffering out of Psalm yeah. 119. And he says that, and he, and he refers, he gives an application. He refers specifically to sleeplessness. Um, and when you go, when you're going through sleepless nights and he says, whether the hours are marked by tedium or swept into some dark frenzy, those hours are largely godless in the sense that you're just kind of sitting there awake, lying awake at night. And yet what he says is that Psalm 119 describes hours full of God, that in our sleeplessness, you can be actively engaged in filling yourself up with more of Christ and more of God's word. And I I love what he says. He says, it doesn't promise, talking about Psalm Psalm 119, even just the scriptures in general, it doesn't promise sleep, though rest is a good and desirable gift. It promises to change sleeplessness. And so what I what I think is ultimately going to give me rest is not just by shutting my mind off and watching Netflix. What's ultimately going to give me rest is by knowing that God may not remove my weariness and my season of, of despair and discouragement. He may not remove that from me, but he can change how I interact with him in the midst of that season. And so for me, what I would encourage somebody with is just what's going to give me rest is by going to the word and meditating upon the word, not just reading the Bible. Uh, Reading the Bible is great, but I need to get to a level of meditation of just thinking upon these things and then praying these things back to God that they would be true for me. And then I need to turn out my light and I need to go to bed rather than spending my night just watching a show. And I think that's what often does it for me. Um, specifically is that spending time mm-hmm. meditating upon the word, spending time in prayer, even when I feel restless and recognizing that going to a movie, going to a show is not going to give me the rest I need, but the scriptures will provide for that. It will provide rest in Christ in the midst of restlessness, which is what I need most. And so, you know, that for me has done it. And I think it's helpful to just recognize that even when we're talking about identity, even when we're talking about being weary in these seasons, not only do we know that it's for a time and it's to be expected as we've talked about, but I think what's helpful is also to recognize that Jesus is, is resurrected and that because Jesus is indestructible, you know, everything that, that he has secured for us through his death and resurrection is also indestructible for us. Hmm. And knowing that this too is going to pass and that we're going to receive all that he has won for us and secured for us. And so like, if I come to a grueling schedule and I look out six weeks and I'm like, man, I'm on week one, I'm not even preach yet. And I've got all these other things going on. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do to get through this. Well, sure. Looking to my hope is going to be helpful, 
But knowing the reality that I already have in Christ right now is super helpful uh, for me because these truths are true for me right now. And not just that I'm going to actually experience when they do come, which is glorious, that motivates me to live a godly life. Mm -hmm. But to know that these truths are my reality right now is hugely freeing uh, for me because I recognize, man, if Christ got up from the grave, he's probably going to get me through this grueling schedule, through this grueling parenting situation, this family situation, and through this restless, weary season that I'm in. If he's up from the grave... Yeah, there is life to be had in the midst of what I feel is death (laughs) in the midst of my season. And so I think that's what's super helpful for me just to remind myself of. Yeah, that's so, so good. Well, I am definitely going to let you continue the conversation with the kids about what it means to be an heir with the hope of eternal life. (laughs) Looking (laughs) forward to that. Thank you so much. Well, it's been such a joy to have you on the Journey Women podcast. Um, If anybody wants to continue being encouraged, I highly recommend going to Ozark Baptist Church in Northwest Arkansas on Spotify and listening to the entire First Peter sermon series. I have been re-listening to it and am so encouraged. Thank you so much for joining us today and encouraging us with these truths. Yeah, you bet. It's been my pleasure. You guys, if you're in Northwest Arkansas and you don't have a church home, come sit by me this Sunday. You can find out more about Ozark Baptist Church at ozarkbaptist.church. This conversation with Trey brings our Rest for the Weary series to an end. We pray it's encouraged you to work from the rest Christ achieved for us as you go about the work that God has given you within the four walls of your own home, in the work outside your home, and in your local church. If you're looking for books or other resources from the series, you can find our Journey Women-specific storefront with 10 of those bookstore at the link in our show notes. You can also find all sponsor links and coupon codes mentioned in the podcast at journeywomenpodcast.org forward slash sponsors. As we typically do here at Journey Women, we will be taking a break from our work through the month of December, and we'll resume working for the glory of God in this space in the coming year. You can expect new podcast episodes from us next March. As always, thanks for listening. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Cannot wait to see you here in 2024.